At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and back to Invest Talk. This is Friday, April 14th, 2020 edition. And I am back. Uh, Aloha. I just got back from the island of Oahu. So uh, I'm back at it. A good little R&R for the week. Uh, it was an interesting trend that was kind of bucked the trend. Uh, I've been in many vacations, but the market went down a lot when I was on vacation. It was, it was kind of this weird, uh, weird thing that always kept happening. Um, but this time, no, we had a pretty bullish market over the last week. And uh, we continue in this choppy pattern uh, for the year overall, and uh, I think it is something we we, we should we should expect. Uh, there's still a lot of crosswinds from a higher interest rates that are having impacts uh, across interest sensitive parts of the market, like real estate, like technology stocks, uh, commercial real estate. Uh, more than than residential real estate, uh, but certainly having impact on car loans, anything people have to borrow money to do. Uh, and so that's uh, an interesting uh, trend. And then you have liquidity that is improving. I know it sounds weird, the Fed's raising rates, but the liquidity has pretty much improved since uh, October. So uh, it's not always the headlines that you want to pay attention to, but uh, really those liquidity trends. And, and um, that's what you're seeing right now is Still, uh, still liquidity that is uh, once again improving. So that's what's happening so far this year. We're what four and a half months or three and a half months uh, into this year, and it goes by quick. And there's a lot to unpack, and that's what I'm going to do for you today: is uh, really dig into the economic and geopolitical trends that we are seeing. Uh, and this kind of plays into the fourth turning. Our main focus point is. Uh, certainly ties into that, that changing of the guard, uh, as you say. And, and there's a lot of hyperbole that's thrown out there. Uh, and I want to do my best to get rid of that. Focus on kind of the gray area. So many people, especially in a hyper-politicized environment, uh, they, they try to make everything black and white. It's either left or it's right, or it's horrible or it's great. And the reality is most things are a bit in the middle. And that's what we're to help you do is try to help you parse out what is hyperbole, what is fact, what is real so that you can make good money decisions. So I'm Justin Klein. And I'm excited for this radio program and podcast to answer your finance and investment questions and do that in straight and unbiased way. As always, no hidden agenda. And so we've talked many times about this changing market environment uh, and how this is, this is that time, that fourth turning where 
times are tough. We all feel that. We all feel the angst in the air of what does what's around the corner? What's the next major problem that's going to arise? And how do you react to it? How do you make smart decisions that provide successful outcomes based on what your risk tolerance level is, what your goals are, et cetera. So I encourage you to reach out with your finance investment questions. As always, our anytime listener line is 888 chart Now we've got a lot of material to cover for this podcast. One is in regards to de-dollarization. How real is it? What are the headlines? Headlines talking about China and Russia and Brazil and all these countries that are starting to try to trade in other currencies. And does that mean the dollar is imminently in peril? Or is it something that's overblown? The reality is probably in the middle, like I said. So we're going to dig into that and I'll give you my assessment of what it means and what good can come out of it and bad. There's two sides of it. There's always two sides. Just like having the world's reserve currency, there are two sides to that as well. There's positive and there's negatives. So we're going to dig into all of that as well as a few other things. One is in regards to the bond market turmoil and turbulence. And I want to dig into that because asset prices across the board are really tied to the 10-year treasury, for example, the treasury market rates. Just look at mortgage rates now. That's tied to the 10-year treasury. And so it's not just more, it's not just mortgages, not just real estate, it's other asset classes as well. So when volatility perks up there, that creates volatility elsewhere. So we're going to look at that. Also, Options are very popular, buying and selling options. How liquid? What's the cost of trading options? And there's some data on that. And then lastly, the U.S. is kind of uh, cracking the code when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto and seizing funds. And does that, what does that tell you about how well prepared the, the government is becoming in kind of fending off uh, the crypto networks from being a part of the real financial system. So we're going to look at that. Now let's take a look at the, oh yeah, actually uh, we have some other topics as well uh, in regard to some voice bank questions, uh, lending club, as well as a money market fund that, uh, that we had a call about. And then we have an ex excerpt from the newest KPP premium newsletter that's coming out tomorrow morning as well as your live calls as well, which we're going to get to at 888.99 chart. Let's take a look, quick look at the markets today before we get to our first caller. It was a pretty net, it was modestly negative. S&P was only down eight points, pretty, pretty modest there. So it was kind of a flat day going into the weekend. Uh, and overall, it's been a, a bullish kind of consolidation period over the past week and a half, two weeks or so. And not a shock, not a shock. Uh, as you have cooling inflation, better liquidity, and 
you know, a, a more dovish Fed uh, going forward, which it looks like. So markets uh, are certainly liking that. Now let's go to our first listener question. And is Nick in Manhattan. He's looking at MP Materials. Hi, Justin. Happy Friday to you. I am uh, calling about MP Materials Corp. It's an operator of, uh, I think, the only rare earth mine in North America. It's about 50 miles south of Las Vegas. And um, they make, uh, or they, they mine rare earths that go into magnets that power um, traction motors and electric vehicles, robotics, wind turbines, um, sort of uh, green technologies. And as you know, uh, the Biden administration is um, definitely behind this effort uh, to transform the economy. Recently, uh, the EPA released rules that are um, essentially going to force all the car makers to uh, be predominantly makers of electric vehicles instead of internal combustion engines. And, um, you know, these sorts of uh, vehicles and technologies in general, like wind turbines, they need these rare earths. And... uh, Historically, most of them have been sourced from China, but um, we are not big fans of China these days. And so I think that there's much like, um, you know, the Greenspan put under the market in the 90s. I think there's a Biden put underneath the, uh, the American um, supply of, raw, of uh, raw, raw earth minerals, copper, stuff like that, and neodymium, which is uh, found in this mine. So I'm, I'm bullish on this company long term. I've been, I've been watching it for the past year. And I think that the recent EPA rules are a catalyst for a, a price rise. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I certainly understand uh, your sentiment and, the, and that kind of uh, narrative there. The issue I have it with just technically, uh, it, it remains in a downtrend. There's really nothing that's showing me that this is breaking out to the upside. It continues to underperform the broad basic material space as well as uh, the market as a whole. And that's my biggest worry here is I want companies that are outperforming the market, outperforming its peers, and this just continues in a downtrend. Uh, now, long term, yeah, you're, you're right. The, uh, the There's going to be more demand for rare earths. Now, I think rare earths are a bit of a misnomer. They call them rare earths. Some of them are not really that rare. A lot of them are not really that rare. Now, the good thing is, like you said, this is uh, the largest one in the Western Hemisphere. And... As you have geopolitical tensions, certainly the this could turn out to be uh, one of the the, the the rare sources of rare earths uh, for uh, domestic battery production, etc. So I I certainly have been keeping an eye on this. this. Is the name that I've always kept my my eye on. It was pretty overpriced when it was about fifty dollars per share early last year. Now it's down about twenty eight, and it's uh, more reasonably priced. I think it's probably uh, fair price now. I, I wouldn't say it's cheap. I wouldn't say it's uh, super expensive, uh, but I would say it's it's fairly priced. The issue, though, is if it's fairly priced, I want at least some good price momentum to the upside, saying it's going to start to uh, improve from there. And I don't see that. Um, so certainly a name, once again, on the watch list, but the technicals really need to line up. And there's really nothing on the technical side that's telling me to go out there and buy it right now. Um, I would be looking for some sort of capitulation volume. You had a bit of a big sell-off about a week ago on decent volume, but nothing that's really uh, extreme. You saw one back in July of last year, and that sh- uh, marked a short-term bottom, but rolled over f- rather quickly. So 
I don't like the series of higher, I love lower highs and lower lows, and I don't see capitulation volume quite yet. So still on the watch list for me, not ready to jump in quite yet, but I agree with a lot of your sentiments, Nick. Thanks for the call. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. Or if you're listening via our live stream, you can call right now on 888 chart In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads surpassing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download, and hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. and Steve Peasley are ready to take on your finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to James. He is in New York looking at, is it CLFD? Yes, Field Incorporated. Okay, okay. What do, you, uh, what do you know about the name? You looking to buy it, sell it? Uh, I'm thinking of buying it and i have maybe for a short term like a trade i know it's okay. plummeted quite a bit it's been trading sideways for maybe the last month it looks like and i'm thinking maybe if there's some upside potential in the near term i uh, just wanted to hear your thoughts on that well let me give you a quick primer on charting here and when you see something move down and then chop sideways for a period like you said about a month it's been chopping sideways uh, in the mid 40s it's just gaining steam to move lower that's what we call bearish consolidation it did this back in the beginning of the year where it fell in early february consolidated pretty much the entire month into early march and then had another leg lower from the, the low 60s all the way into those, that mid 40 range and it looks like it's just trying to do that uh, once again so I would I would pass uh, on this as a short term trade. Uh, this looks bearish to me. I, I see no uh, no exciting upside uh, for uh, this stock in the near term. Uh, I know you're looking at probably it looks cheap, but cheapness is not a catalyst for trade. The technicals are uh, analysts continue to downgrade earnings going forward. So uh, I would not be buying this as a trade. Maybe a good short. It's actually a pretty good near-term short candidate. Thanks for the call. Now we're going to take a break on the other side. We're going to talk to some more caller questions at 888-99-CHART.
One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Is the threat of de-dollarization real? And there have been a lot of headlines lately about uh, China and Brazil reaching agreement to settle their trade in each other's currencies. And over the past 15 years or so, China has replaced the United States as the main trading partner for Brazil. And it's not a shock because Brazil is very resource rich. And China needs resources, just like Russia's very resource-rich, make natural trading partners from an economic standpoint. Now, from a political standpoint, very different countries, uh, China and Russia, for example, they have been historically rivals and and enemies. So historically, not typically a partnership that uh, is is fruitful uh, for either side. But in the near term, you know, there are many countries that are starting to think about how to diversify away from the dollar, which is essentially the default currency for international trade and the, a global unit of account. You know, think of everything that you, you, you get a price for. You don't say this is a certain amount in rubles or in yen or in yuan or in euros, you know, maybe in in Europe, you might do that. But, you know, for almost everything, it's like, for example, Bitcoin, you don't say what is Bitcoin's price in these other currencies, you say, what is the Bitcoin price in dollar terms? And so it's just the standard unit of account across the globe for the most part. And that's why central banks park their money in treasuries. Uh, and most central banks have a, a, their foreign currency holdings in U.S. dollars, mainly in uh, dollar-type assets. Now, <clears throat> the fact that we have weaponized our the SWIFT system, the dollar system, against enemies like Iran, like Russia, that's forced them to look for alternatives. And that's what the impetus kind of near term is uh, for this. If, for example, we lifted those sanctions tomorrow, there would be a a much, uh, they would go back to using the dollar pretty quickly. And the reason is is because there's just a network effect there. Uh, Countries want to trade efficiently, effectively, uh, economically, and the dollar system and especially not just the dollar system. Everyone thinks about the dollar system here in the U.S., but there's what's called the euro dollar system, which is is trade and, and uh, economic activity that's happening outside of the country. Everyone thinks of euro dollar, and that's, that's the Europe. No, no, no. It's just anything that is foreign, okay? Foreign dollar system uh, around the world. And, you know, over the past, since the, the financial crisis, uh, obviously the, the Fed has had some unpredictable policy, uh, same with COVID. Uh, the, the government policy has been very frenetic and, and unpredictable, and, and certainly there were a lot of mistakes made with COVID. So I think from a political standpoint, there's just been a lot of, a lot of mistakes, put simply, over the past 20, 25 years or so that has 
caused a lot of these countries to think about uh, a different way of doing business. Now, that's kind of a negative, but in reality, we're kind of still the cleanest, dirty shirt uh, out there. And if you look at currency pegs, for example, still 22 foreign central banks and currency boards peg their currency to the dollar. Even China pegs the yuan to the dollar. Okay. And so the question is, how do you usurp that system that's been in place? And a lot of the system isn't something that we created, right? The US didn't create this euro dollar system. Certainly the petrodollar system is a big part of that. But the trading mechanisms and, and, and uh, the, the infrastructure around the world that utilizes dollars is something that, for the most part, we didn't create. It's countries that are don't have central banks that are as responsible as ours. And you could say ours isn't very responsible. Like I said, over the past 20, 25 years, probably not. But before that, in many ways, we were more responsible and still remain more responsible than many of the other uh, countries that are out there. So the big question isn't really about what currency will usurp the dollar. It's more about will there be a shift and it will be more a regional currency or will it be something like uh, a basket of currencies? That's what the uh, special drawing rights uh, of the IMF use. They use a back basket of currencies. It can be something like that. Um, will it be backed by hard assets like oil, natural gas, gold, silver, copper, et cetera. That's certainly a, a potential. And, and I think that's really what it comes down to is, is there's probably going, there's always going to be a future, right? A different, a different reserve currency that's used throughout the world. And the dollar will be usurped at some point, but it's likely going to take many years to create the systems that are, that replicate a lot of the functionality of the dollar system today worldwide. And so this is more of a generational shift that's probably going to take 10, 15, 20 years. And also the big question, the other question you have to ask yourself, is it really good to have the dollar as a reserve currency? Because what happens is if there's just a gradual uh, downtrend in, in the dollar, that's actually generally going to be good uh, for, uh, for the most part for the U.S. because our exports are going to become more competitive. Right now, that's a re- one reason why all of our jobs are being shipped overseas because, because we are the reserve currency and we have to export dollars. We have to have a negative trade balance. So after the break, I'm going to dig into a little bit more of what could come next. All right. Uh, and then after that, we're going to talk to Sergio from Pennsylvania. So hang on. You'll be next on Invest Talk at 888 chart Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Sergio from Pennsylvania. He wants to talk about targeted funds. Yes, uh, uh, thank you for taking my call. Really enjoy your show. My question is, if, uh, if I have a target dated fund, and let's suppose that, you know, there is a foreseeable recession or uh, increasing interest rates and that kind of thing, how often does the manager of the fund change the portfolio? Well, that's one of my big problems with targeted funds is they don't do anything like that. They don't make changes in regards to what's happening in the economy, what assets are cheap or expensive. They're on what's called a glide path. And the glide path 
is what it is, right? They might change that methodology here or there, but that's something that's it's, it's very rare. Um, and it's not going to be impacted by what's happening in the overall economy. So, you know, for example, if you're in a long-term targeted fund, a 2060 targeted fund, for example, you're going to be almost entirely in equities. And a lot of them are just indexing, so they're going to be weighted towards the growth side of the market. And so if that, if, if the if the equities go lower, they're, they're not making a change, not really making a change. It's still very long-term, and they're not buying or selling or making any major changes. Uh, because of what's happening in the market as a whole, they uh, you know maybe monthly make a small change, you're getting a little bit closer to that to that, uh, that target date, and they may sell off you know a very small percentage of, of equities, and that might be at a good time, it might be at a bad time, um, and so it depends on which what that glide path looks like. But no, it's none of them that I've ever seen take into account what's happening in the broader economy or the market as a whole. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Now, if I, uh, I am like a 57 and my, uh, my money is at Fidelity, if I want okay. to work with your firm, in that case, I have to wait until 59 and a half in order to move the money to you? Uh, if it's in a 401k, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you have an old 401k, you can roll that into an IRA and then we can uh, handle that. Um, but if it's in a 401k that's active, you're contributing to, yeah, 59 and a half before you can do an in-service rollover into an, into an IRA. The same thing with the 453 and, uh, uh, and exactly. The yeah. All of those, if, if they're currently oh. active, you're contributing to them. You can't do an in-service rollover until 59 and a half. After 59 and a half, you should be able to roll it over into an IRA, still contribute to it if you're still working there. Um, but until then... Yeah, it's kind of uh, unfortunately stuck within those uh, those targeted funds or whatever your options are at your firm. Thank you very much. No problem, Sergio. Thanks for the call. Now, before the break, I was talking a bit about the shifts and and how the the dollar over time is likely to lose its reserve currency status, uh, it, but it's not going to be like people think it's going to be the yuan. No. Uh, and I think that's very, very low chance that's going to happen. First, the yuan is currently pegged to the U.S. dollar, and it doesn't float. It means it's not subject to market forces. One of the big reasons why people or the, the, the world uses the the dollar is because it is subject to market forces. It floats, and the, this peg that the Chinese authorities. Uh, use uh, to keep the yuan from going higher, uh, it's to benefit Chinese exports. They're doing it, they're manipulating the currency in order to keep the yuan lower and therefore benefit their main part of their economy, which are exports. Now, the Chinese capital account is also closed, which means that money isn't free to flow without the government's approval. So people are saying, oh, the yuan is going to be the next reserve currency. I, I find that highly, highly unlikely, okay? Um, but once again, it could be part of a basket of currencies uh, as well as harder assets that is used more globally. Uh, and so that's certainly a, a, a possibility. Um, so once again, the prospect of anything happening in the short term, days, weeks, months, even a few years, that's not going to happen. It's virtually impossible for the dollar to be usurped in that short of a time frame. Why? Because the depth and breadth of the U.S. economy, first of all, well, a lot of people hate on the U.S. economy, but the diversity of our economy is second to none. 
we have diverse uh, commodity base with uh, obviously our energy and shale uh, uh, drilling. We have a lot of natural resources from copper to uranium to uh, all types of, uh, of hard assets throughout the country spread out. We have obviously technology sector that's very strong, a finance sector that's very strong. There's a, a lot of our sectors, industrial sector that, that is maybe not as strong as it used to be, but still uh, relatively strong again, against the rest of the world. So we have a very, very diverse economy as a whole. And we still are the largest trading partner with the vast majority of countries that are out there. And so the, there's a high barrier to exit, to the switching costs to move away from the dollar for a lot of countries. Uh, you can notice that all the ones that are doing this are the ones who trade the most with China. But is China going to be able to, with their demographic issues, remain that 10, 15, 20 years from now? Unlikely. Okay. So the more pressing issues for us has more to do with what's happening at the government level, you know, how uh, sound of a fiscal and monetary policy will we continue to have so far over the past, especially since COVID? Not very good. I think that's a, a big uh, a, a big aspect to this that's uh, underappreciated is that, hey, yes, it's our currency or our, our weaponizing our the dollar system and those sanctions that we're putting on uh, our enemies, but it's also kind of us fumbling the bag over the past uh, few years in a big way. And, uh, but well, like I said, it's really the, 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 the payment system. 95% of the world's dollar payments are settled via SWIFT, our, uh, our inner bank system that we have control over, okay? Uh, and so over time, this could shift, but also over time, like I said before the break, this is actually can be a good thing. Mild depreciation will help U.S. exports, will help us rebuild our uh, the 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 Rust Belt. You know, that's why there's a lot of political divide in this country. Those that are a part of the Rust Belt and those are more on the coast. And a lot of that has to do with the hollowing out of the center of the country due to us having too strong of a dollar, right? That's being propped up and us exporting our production overseas. And now that's coming back. And a lot of that is positive and hopefully will bring more political, more union to the country. And that I think is, is, is a potential good side effect of the dollar becoming less of a reserve currency overall. So it's, it's two-sided. You have to look at it both ways. And like I said, at the top of the show, the reality typically lives somewhere in the middle. It's not the end of the world. And it's also the dollar's not also going to be the reserve currency forever. All right, let's go to Bob in Palm Desert looking at TRTN. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I own shares of Triton and have for uh, a couple years now as as a long term play in a ba balanced portfolio. And mm -hmm. this week they were the target of a acquisition, um, and mm -hmm. the stock shot up quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to know your take because apparently the company is being taken private, and I wanted to see what your take is if I should just sell and take the profit at, at this level or what do you think about to holding it and, and what I should do going forward? All right. So they are being bought by Brookfield infrastructure partners. Uh, 
and it looks like you're going it's going to be cash and class a shares of brookstone infrastructure partners lp so bip is the symbol of that and so you're mainly going to get cash let me take a look at the price here about 85 dollars per share what's it trading at now yeah, 83 and change, 83.50. Uh, typically, these take some months to uh, kind of finally settle out. And then also, you're now going to have some correlation with BIP because the deal, which if it goes through, which it probably will, it will, you, you're going you're gonna to get some amount of shares in BIP. And so this will fluctuate a little bit with the with the BIP shares. Obviously, the vast majority it's cash, so that's pretty solid. Um, so there's the question: Is do you want to own BIP now? It's a limited partnership, so it does pay out a dividend. That's going to be taxed at your ordinary income tax rate. Do you want to own that? So that's something to think about as well. Um, I, I would probably just take the money and move on. You you made a good uh, goodbye. You, want, you know, are you close to long term on this on this name? Yeah, long-term capital gain for sure. Yeah, so you're taking long-term capital gains. <clears throat> I would just move on. You're, you're you're talking about a little bit potential upside, but not much. And you could go and reinvest that money uh, with into something that is has much higher upside. So you're going to be forced to take these gains. Now, the one the good thing is you, if it's turned into stock, part part of it's turned into stock that you don't have to trigger those long-term capital gains. So I think that's something to think about, that you're not triggering uh, this, what I call it, 20% uh, of the deal that's going to be uh, in, in stock. But 80%, you're going to be forced to take those gains. So it's a small percentage of what you're thinking about there. Uh, I would just sell it and move on and try to find something that has a better upside. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Thanks so much, Justin. No problem. Thanks for the call. Now, the KPP Premium Newsletter was finished today and will be distributed to subscribers tomorrow morning, and I have a preview. Now, the market conditions section, we explained the market participants were in a wait-and-see mode this week as they anticipated the release of the CPI data and some key earnings from some of the nation's largest banks. Now, midway through the trading day, the S&P 500 was poised to finish the week about a 1% gain. And the March CPI reading was released early on Wednesday. Year-over-year -year inflation eased to 5%, down from 6% in February. Core CPI, which excludes energy and food, rose to 40, 40 base points in March, bringing it up to 5.6%. Uh, market expectations are still on the side of a 25 basis point hike in May, with Fed futures signaling an 80% chance of a hike. Uh, JP Morgan Chase, nation's largest bank, saw profits drop 52% with record uh, to a record level for the first quarter of the year. Revenue growth was up 49%, and mainly because of higher interest income. And they reassured, reassured investors on the regional bank crisis did not spread to the nation's largest banks. In fact, they actually benefited. Now, a mild recession is still a real possibility, and it is clear that the downside trend in inflation and loosening of the labor market over the past several weeks, that the Fed is beginning to see the side effects of the most aggressive campaign to raise interest rate in decades. And there are still several events on the horizon that investors should be aware of, including the possibility of a deeper than expected earnings recession and a prolonged battle over the debt ceiling. And we dig into more of the commentary in the newsletter. We also highlight a few stock ideas. One is a leading financial services company that has a strong track record of stability and growth with a long history in the financial industry. 
It has been established, it established itself as a reputable and trusted brand serving millions of clients and managing trillions of dollars of assets. Price stabilized recently around $50 per share with a PE of only 14 and a 2% dividend yield and upcoming earnings should clarify the impact of recent financial fallouts in the sector. We also look at a leading utility company with a strong presence in the Midwest has a 3.35% dividend yield and we name names in the newsletter. You can subscribe over at investtalk.com. All right, let's pivot and talk a bit about, all right, are we going to actually, we're going to call and we're going to grab a listener question now. Hey, Steve or Justin, my name is Danny calling from New York. Longtime listener, really appreciate everything you guys do. I had a quick clarifying question on Lending Club. The other day, you guys had a caller question asking about their high-yield savings account. And Justin mentioned that they are not FDIC insured, in which case, you know, they would obviously pose uh, quite a bit of risk. I actually have a fair amount of cash parked with them. And my understanding is that they are FDIC insured up to 250000 So I was wondering, you know, where you were seeing that they are not FDIC insured and, you know, what I might be missing here. Thanks in advance and look forward to uh, hearing your response. All right. Uh, so I, I've got a couple emails on this and I was not aware that Lending Club does offer an FDIC insured uh, offering, um, but not all of their offerings are FDIC insured. So that's what you need to understand is that uh, it, it's just because it's at Lending Club does not mean that you are FDIC insured. Now they have FDIC insured options, but they aren't, every, all, all your money there isn't FDIC insured unless it's just in that FDIC insured fund. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of, you know, investing options. You're going to get higher yield. If you're getting, you know, seven, eight, nine plus percent yield over there, that's not FDIC insured. Anything that's FDIC insured is going to be, you know, kind of around the market rate, you know, four or 5%. Um, so it just depends on what offering that you are in. Um, and once again, I wasn't aware that Lending Club had moved into offering those FDIC insured uh, deposits, uh, but I guess they they have. Um, so make sure if you have money over there, you know exactly what it's in. Not everything at Lending Club is the FDIC insured. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And we are heading into our final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now. And after the break, I'm going to touch on the bond market and. I know it's boring, but it's vital to understanding what's happening in the broader financial system and how that feeds into the economy as a whole and different asset classes. So uh, something that I continue to watch each and every day, and I want to give you some statistics and what you should watch to make sure you are on top of it. All right. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I touched a bit on the U.S. bond market and the treasury market. And this is really where the rubber meets the road for the economy as a whole. And during the recent banking crisis, 
there was a lot of volatility in especially the two-year treasury. Uh, it averaged 0.22 percentage points uh, from around uh, from March 9th through March 27th, so almost the entire month of March. And that's a lot of volatility for a market that tends to be pretty stable. And this was the most volatile stretch since the early 80s. Remember when rates were uh, in the, the teens? And the moves since then, though, have mellowed out to about six basis points, right from 22 down to six basis points. The average one-day change in the 10-year yield also shrank to about 0.4% from about 0.12%, from 12 to, to four basis points. And that's overall a good thing because when treasury yields were jumping all over the map, it was hard to price things like corporate bonds. And corporate borrowing came to a standstill during that crisis, not just because of the uncertainty of what's going to happen with Silicon Valley Bank and the other uh, the other banks, but really that volatility within the treasury market. And so, you know, uh, people that manage companies, they're human as well. And so they want uncertainty. I'm oh, sorry, they want certainty. And the certainty is what's the cost of this debt going to be? And when you're working with an investment bank that's taking these bonds to market, if there's a lot of volatility in the, the, the uh, in the, in the base rate, which is that two year or that 10 year rate, that can provide a lot of uncertainty. Okay, am I, am I gonna be borrowing at five and a quarter, 4.8, 5.7? You know, what, what is my borrowing cost going to be once we finally, once this finally gets to market and it's priced? And that volatility creates a lot of issues. And so over the last, uh, the, the, the last few weeks, Investment grade corporate issuance has gone up dramatically. You had 15 billion coming from Marriott, Pacific Gas and Electric as well. You also had Ford and Cloud Software Group. They issued 8.3 billion in, in uh, junk bonds. And so this is the second highest weekly tally since the start of the year. And 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 this is this is important. This is why that stability within the the the, the bond market is vital. And that's why I tend to watch the move index. And I've talked about this before. And it's really the, 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 the VIX of the bond market. And this was above 150 for most of that time when there was a bunch of volatility within the, the treasury market. And now it's sink back below 120. That's 118 right now. And that is a good thing. That is positive. That is bullish because that's stability. That creates more liquidity. That means banks are going to lend and people are going to borrow or corporations are going to borrow because they have certainty to what's happening. Uh, what their costs are. Okay, so I wanted to uh, just just highlight that because it's very important to keep an eye on uh, that volatility. And if you, that per perks up back again, that's going to be bearish for risk assets. Let's go to Robert in Pleasanton who wants to talk about Yield Street. Hey there, Justin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, just kind of looking to possibly um, diversify my investments and and get something outside of the stock market. I've been looking mm -hmm. into Yield Street. I was just wondering if you had any opinion about them. Well, Yield Street is just a private REIT that sold through, so sold online. That's it. There's really no uh, no difference there. You know, they 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 advertise it as alternative investments, uh, but they invest in commercial real estate. And obviously, commercial real estate is uh, is having a tough time. And so that's the biggest issue here is that these, uh, there's, you know, there's Fundrise, there's Yield Street, there's, there's a lot of these online uh, private REITs that are, that, are, um, that are just marketed instead of through some sort of seminar at a, at a, 
at a hotel. They're just marketed through uh, online platforms. And it doesn't make the underlying asset really any different. It doesn't make them managed uh, any better. Uh, and they haven't really been through a down cycle. A lot of these are, are relatively new. So who's, who's the manager behind the actual private REIT that you're investing in? Because that's what you're investing in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And right now you see real estate assets, anything non-residential is, is, is struggling. Other parts of commercial that are still doing well if they're located in Texas, et cetera. But overall, there's just, you don't know what's in them. You don't know really what type of risk you're, you're taking. You don't have any track record of a down market and how well they've done. So I don't see it as a, a good place to be because I don't have much clarity and neither do you of whether these are good or bad investments. And a lot of them are marked to whatever they feel like they're mark they want to market to like the assets and the value of the underlying assets. So I would pass on something like Yield Street. Thanks for the call. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And remember to follow Invest Talk on our social channels and like and tag us as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Enjoy your weekend. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.